you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, you know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a JC softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, JC softball team. As long as, you know... Uh, it's 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 not whether you win or lose. It's like who, the, the the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know that crap like that. You know all this stuff that's contaminated America, where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring little league anymore. As we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dogs? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big TTC homer? <laughs> hey, buddy, what's going on? Hey, them Georgia fans, have they found mm-hmm. you yet? Have they, uh, you know, tr- come to your house and demanded to know why you're so down on old Kirby? Boy, yeah, that put me through the ringer on that one, man. Notifications <laughs> were off just about all weekend, Mike. <laughs> you know, I just, maybe, you know, and after taking a step back and listening to all the constructive criticism I received, you know, maybe I could have given a little more time on that list. I think there were some spots I would have changed. Maybe drop Kirby down another. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I, I think maybe I didn't give Kirby enough respect. That was one of them. I think I gave. Uh, I think I gave uh, a couple of the coaches a little too much respect. But you know, that's that's it. List season. You know how it is. You, there's no correct list out there. Everybody. I mean, people are gonna get mad no matter what you put, but. Uh, I, I did turn off the notification, but they're back on. You know, I ain't going to run uh, Peyton Manning uh, on a positive note. Did you see that, him and Tiger Woods? Uh, that's what I hear. How did it go? Oh, man, fantastic. Anytime Peyton can win. So uh, <laughs> it did come down at the very end, which surprised me. But uh, uh, the weather, the weather was rough, you know. Um, it, it wasn't an ideal situation. I, the mics weren't really – I mean, it was – as far as TV production – it was, I'd give it a D minus. I mean, that's how bad it was. But the fact is sports, it's May. We haven't had them in a while. I was ready to go, and I was happy to see uh, uh, Peyton and Tiger getting the victory. Yeah, got to give the, the viewers something, right? So that's all we're trying to do for this one. Memorial Day edition of the podcast. A lot of people probably having, you know, extended weekends. So just wanted to get this out for everybody to listen to and entertain you somewhat during this time but uh hey we got some good stuff lined up here we got a really terrific guest adam mcclintock the cfb professor is going to join us on the tail end of the episode but before we get into that shane you what are you um you know we got some huge news out of the sec because if you missed it on friday the sec has voted to allow student athletes back to campus starting monday june Eighth, and this is something we talked about. You know, there was speculation June first, June fifteenth. They split the difference. It's going to be June eighth, and this is going to give us more than enough time to get the six weeks, eight weeks, whatever the hell that it is they need to get ready for the season. And this was basically the biggest first hurdle to overcome. And I just can't be more ecstatic that uh, the entire SEC is has come together and made this vote and it's certainly like we've been saying all off season you know be positive looks like we're gonna get college football thoughts on uh this vote dude this was awesome man and i was pumped up after the ncaa approved for it you know it kind of reminds me of uh remember those old cartoons those wily coyotes and the snowball starts really small and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and <laughs> picking up momentum you know that's what this feels like like uh, everything's going in the right direction 
It seems that we're more and more likely that we're going to have college football uh, at the regular time. But uh, what what kind of hurdles? I mean, because you're you're more plugged into this. Uh, what 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 other hurdles are we looking at, or, or is there anything that you see in the future that could really hold up the universities? Well, the one thing that uh, nobody really has an answer for, and Greg Sankey, you know, I've heard him ask this question exactly. What is going to happen in the event that a player tests positive week of the game? Now, obviously, I think that would probably mean that guy can't play in the game, you know, right. unless he's given a test immediately, you know, prior to the game and he's, and he's over it. I, you know, we, we always keep hearing this 14-day deal here where they got to go into isolation so again not a doctor <laughs> i'm not the person to ask about uh, how the coronavirus you know affects young people or anything but that's the biggest question i think remaining how is the sec going to handle that and you know upon the athletes arrival back to campus monday june 8th everyone's being uh, given uh, tests or physical examinations and, yeah. and some form of isolation to where, you know, we can make sure we keep it off this campus. And, you know, the more coaches you talk to, this is an interesting twist, you know, where everybody says, you know, is it safe to bring these kids back? It It's probably safer to have them on campus than it is, you know, all yeah. across the country to where now they're monitored. They've got their diets taken care of. They've got yeah. the best medical staff on hand they don't have to pay for any of it obviously so i mean this could be the best place for them and it should you know i gotta make this note that the sec just because they passed this june 8th this is a key key detail here none of the schools are required to start by june 8th now the only one that i've come out and heard has not been fully supportive of this is kentucky and they're not what? they're not saying they're not going to do it but they the uh, the athletic director, Mitch Barnhart, has kind of come out and said it was kind of a vague statement. You know, I may be reading too much into it, but while all the, you know, Fulmer and Georgia and, and basically the entire list in the SEC saying, you know, we're ready to get back to work, Kentucky's statement was, well, we're going to continue to work with state and local officials uh, yep. before we make a determination. And it you got to note that Louisville has already – I think they're coming back June one, so there's no there's no state regulations that are going to prevent Kentucky from coming back. So it must be local that they're talking. So maybe they're just trying to be extra cautious. I hope that's what it is, and and everything's you know given the green light and they are able to come back. But schools are not required to start by June eight. Obviously, if they don't, they're going to fall behind. And I think most importantly, these schools are not going to make the athletes come back. If they don't feel comfortable, if they do not yeah. want to come back, they're not going to be forced to do it. But again, I've not heard much f feedback from the players saying yeah. we don't want to be there. You know, they, <laughs> this is what, I mean, this is football, you know, they, they want to be part of it and they've only got a few years to play here in college before hopefully going on to the NFL. So I think they're, they're kind of chomping at the bit to make a return. So Fulmer wasn't the one holding up things, huh? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> little different in the article I read, Mike. But anyway, um, I did want to ask you, when, let's say, because I'm with you, I think kids on campus uh, is better if you're thinking about preventing them from from this illness or from this virus that's that's floating around. I would think being constantly monitored by the, the medical staff of these universities would be ideal. Uh, I think every day they're probably going to be checking you know, everything. I, I'm sure they're going to be checking to make sure if you've got an elevated temperature, you're pulled out of practice. You know, they want to right. be safe. Uh, but it also, I wonder about, let's say they do come in June. Do you, do you think there would be some type of isolation? Um, like, uh, and I think they're already, I mean, there's a lot of these kids are doing classes online anymore, you know, so they're not going to classes and things like that. But you think maybe to limit exposure this year, just this year, do you think that we have some sort of, you know, football just stays in this dorm? These practice, you know, they're they're not. I don't know if you can tell them not to go off campus, but right. you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You think there's going to be some uh, special provisions this year? 
Yeah, I mean, that's they're going to be looking at all avenues, and that's kind of why this June 8th is so important because of the rest of the student body is not going to be on campus. So that's another step of why, you know, it's probably a lot safer for the student athletes to be there. There's not going to be a huge student population to potentially infect them mm-hmm. or, or what or if that's the right word, you know what I mean? So yeah. there, there's just, if someone does pop up with it, it can probably be identified almost immediately. You can figure out who they're in contact with, but I've already started to see. So if, uh, if the audience isn't aware, some of these, these coaching staffs are allowed back in the facilities and they've been in there a little while, not long, I think about a week. And I saw a photo of the South Carolina coaching staff. It was great. You know, the the big rooms they have in their facilities where you can seat 100 players? Yeah. That's where the coaching staff is, but they're about 10 (laughs) spots away from each other. There's 10 of them in the stands. They're taking up, you know, the entire auditorium there, if you will. So, I mean, that's kind of what we're going to be seeing. I don't know if we're going to have – a hundred players all together. You know what I mean? We may, yeah. we may even go position by position and try to keep them separate for the time being, or maybe even just offense versus defense. I, I don't know how it's going to play out uh, because I don't know if they're going to want a hundred people in a confined space right out the gate. But now, right. of, co- of course, I'm not talking, I think this could all be, we don't have the answers for the football season, but I'm just talking about once they return on June 8th. So it's going to be really interesting to see. And I also want to make this note. They cannot be coached by the coaching staff upon their return. This is what they're allowing them to come back for is strength and conditioning. So the coach, it's almost like a traditional offseason program where it's just going to be the, the strength and conditioning staff monitoring their workouts and them getting into shape prior mm-hmm. to a training camp. Oh, I'm sh- I'm sure they're going to take every safe route that they can when these kids do get on campus. So, but let me ask you, uh, just future dates that we're looking at. If if you're just Joe Blow sitting on the couch and you're wondering what's next, what is next, Mike? What what are we waiting on now? I think the big one is SEC media days and just how okay. that goes down. And I would anticipate that probably is going to be made that decision next week. And if not, it will be the following week. So the next, we're looking at a two-week window here, and we'll find out whether they're going to have SEC media days, whether they have a virtual media days, or something in between. I mean, it's all kind of guesswork, but I we got to note that the Big Ten on, I think it was Friday, it was either Thursday or Friday, came out and said, it was a very bizarre statement. They just said, our media days will not go on as scheduled. So they didn't say it was going virtual. They didn't say they were pushing it back. They just said yeah. it would not go on as scheduled. I don't know what that means, but it kind of seems again, like they're I, leaving the door open for, for something. Yeah, and I wouldn't read too much into that because, uh, you know, this is the SEC podcast, and the SEC Media Days is an event, right. uh, unlike some of these other uh, conferences. So <laughs> That's true. I, I'm not, not, not taking a stab or anything like that, but you, uh, it's not near as extreme as it, it is for the SEC. So I'm not going to read too much into that. Okay. Well, yeah, good point. I don't even know where to find the Big Ten uh, gathering there or whatever. They were. Apparently it's not happening, right? you know? <laughs> Wait for the scop invite. <laughs> All right, so we only got one bit of news. It was kind of a slow weekend for just kind of straight SEC news. So I wanted to make this note real quick because we did talk about this on the previous episode here, but Jerrion Jones, former four-star commit, played for Mississippi State, played on 11 games last year. His, uh, the defensive back coach, Terrell Buckley, left Mississippi State this offseason. Now he's a coach at Ole Miss. Jerrion Jones has officially committed to Ole Miss. Mm. So this is everything we anticipated. Fabian Lovett at this point has not done the same, but that is anticipated as well. So we've got, man, this uh, Egg Bowl rivalry is not going anywhere, (laughs) and it's just heating up right now. And uh, Mississippi State fans calling foul, but I don't know. I I don't think they're going to have much of a case on this one. Yeah, there is a lot. I, I'm just just reading tea leaves and fans, you know. It's just I, I'm hearing a lot of uh, Lane stealing uh, stealing uh, players up there. So we'll we'll see how it plays out. But man, this Egg Bowl, I'm telling you what, they they better go ahead and start saving some money for amped up security because it's going to be wild, brother. Yeah, I think Lane Kiffin's smart enough to know, you know, we got a hole in our roster. 
what can we do to fill it? I don't care what the excuse is. They're going to use it. You know what I mean? And I, yeah. I anticipate Jerry and Jones is going to be now, normally he'd have to sit out the year, but yeah. I think uh, he's going to be eligible immediately. And despite just two years ago, him being the biggest cheerleader for Joe Moorhead's Mississippi state recruiting class, he's mm-hmm. now officially an Ole Miss rebel. And it's funny because when you take that job, you remember it like the NCAA, you had like, if you're taking a job and say you've got to do like you had criteria you needed to meet to keep your job, you know, right. and the first one is to beat the rival school there in Mississippi. So can't, you know, and the best way to beat them is still their players. So we'll see how that plays out, Mike. Hey, one other thing that happened over the weekend, I wanted to make this a, this is an exciting time. It's official. I got my Athlon Sports 2020 preview magazine in the mail. I think on the next episode, we'll kind of do a little bit deeper dive on all this, but really wanted to just um, give a... Is that out yet? It's not yet on the newsstands. That's why oh, I feel pretty know. I feel pretty important here, Shane, but... No, I, I, I don't, Mike. <laughs> I'll just let you know, I do not feel important. <laughs> it should be on the newsstands uh, the, at the latest, I'm told, June 2nd. So probably start looking next week at uh, you know your bookstores, your grocery stores, wherever you get magazines, or I got mine... Uh, through the online Athlon Sports Store. So that's another avenue to do it. But on our next episode, we're going to have Stephen Lazen, who he's the one that writes this magazine. He's going to be on the show breaking it down for us. But before we get to Stephen, I just wanted to make this note. I wanted to give the listeners uh, an overview of how Athlon Sports is predicting the SEC to play out. No surprise. Uh, now, 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 again... This is Athlon Sports. So for you at that SEC podcast, just know this is not mine or Mike's list. All right, go ahead. All right, so Athlon's got the SEC championship, Alabama over Florida. So Mm. not the Bulldogs there. So that's kind of interesting. They got the Crimson Tide winning yet another SEC championship. So I'm just going to run down the list here of SEC West one through seven. Obviously, we got Alabama number one. They got them with a twelve and one overall record. Number two, LSU. They they say in ten and two for the Tigers. Texas A and M number three, nine and three overall. Auburn number four in the SEC West with a nine and three record. Ole Miss number five in the SEC West with a seven and five record. Mississippi State number six with a six and six record, and then Arkansas. Dead last, three and nine. Thoughts on those picks, Shane? Again, Alabama one, LSU two, Texas A&M three, Auburn four, Ole Miss five, Mississippi State six, and Arkansas seven. Well, I mean, you know that that two, three, four spot. I, I, I'm on record saying I think Alabama is obviously going to win the West, but you know that LSU, that Texas A&M, that the uh, Auburn, you know those. Those can be flip-flop. What surprises me is that we've got Ole Miss and Mississippi State making a bowl because I made that a bold prediction in the offseason. You know, I just I, – I thought that would be extremely tough to do, but here's Athlon coming out saying not only is Ole Miss going to win six games and get in a bowl, they're going to win seven, you know. So I think that's the biggest surprise of this list. Uh, and maybe a little bit of the LSU love because – Everybody I'm talking to, a lot of people think LSU's really going to drop off this year. So being number two in the West, uh, a lot of people don't have that as a prediction. What about you? Sounds like old Athlon listens to the podcast. That's my takeaway there. No, but, um, yeah, I see. I mean, everybody's going to have Alabama, everybody except for me. I'm I'm fine with that. Um, It's kind of interesting because I'm kind of leaning Ole Miss to have a little bit better of a season than Mississippi State as well. And I thought that would be a little bit of a surprise, but Athlon right there, you know, they do an outstanding job. I think they're a little low on A&M. I think A&M is going to be a little bit better than they've got it here. Uh, LSU, I'm kind of right there with them. I've been saying for a long time now, I think LSU is going to hover right around that double-digit 9-10 win season. So I think they, they nailed LSU. I think Auburn, people think it's personal at this point, but <laughs> – I don't, I don't know. I'm not confident. That, I mean, number four is probably where they'll land, but I don't think the way Athlon's got it here, A&M and Auburn at 9-3, and three, I don't think it's going to be that close. I think the West is a three-team race between Alabama, LSU, and A&M. 
and I think there's a big drop off after that. So mm. a little bit, a little bit more down on Auburn, but of course they are better than the Mississippi schools. Mm. And remember that's that's at SEC mark, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, you know Arkansas. That's going to be fascinating because I really do think that uh, it's hard to put a ton of stock. The more I talk about Sam Pittman, and it's nothing against him, but it's just I, it seems like sometimes I buy into these guys and then I look like a damn fool. Yeah, never been a head coach, but everywhere he's been, he's been successful. It's that new car, new car smell, Mike. You know, you just it's you not, want it's, it. It's not even just that. It's the it's the staff moves. It's yeah. the it's the roster he's in, inheriting. Say what you want about the Razorbacks. Many people consider them a joke. I think they've got plenty of talent, not to obviously challenge for the title or anything, but I think they're a lot better than people are giving them credit for. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're going to win a lot more than three games. Okay. All right, in the West, obviously, so I said they got Florida, winning the East, excuse me, 11-2 and two, Florida. Number two, Georgia, 10-2. and two. Oh, man. Tennessee, number three, eight and four. Kentucky, number four, with a seven and five record. South Carolina, number five, with a six and six record. Missouri, number six, with a five and seven record. And then Vanderbilt, seventh, with a three and nine record. So once again, Florida, one, Georgia, two, Tennessee, three, Kentucky, four, South Carolina, five, Missouri, six, and Vanderbilt, seven. So thoughts on that. I kind of like that list, Mike. I mean, I that's kind of how I see things playing out, except for the Georgia-Florida. I think Georgia beats Florida. Um, now, I mean, but it could come down the wire. You know, I don't know. Uh, that, that game, obviously, huge question mark, and I think it has more to do with if Newman's legit or not, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but it is later in the season. So I think Georgia's got it. I mean, that game, you could go back and forth. Um, the Missouri, I kind of thought maybe they'd have a chance to make a bowl this year. So uh, having them just at five wins kind of surprises me. Uh, a lot of people are going to be surprised that Kentucky uh, is is higher up. And some folks will even have Kentucky higher than Tennessee. Um it wouldn't surprise me. I, I think I think a lot of people are sleeping on Kentucky this year. Uh, they're going to have a – I think Terry is a legit quarterback. I think this uh, offseason, even though it has hindered a lot of programs because they've not been able to, to, to be together, I think a team like Kentucky uh, will hit the ground running quicker than later. But who, who, who do they – does it say who Florida's two losses will be? Well, it does say seven and one in the SEC, so I'm assuming they're thinking maybe they lose to Georgia, but and then and see this is where I think everybody's got this confused. Everybody looks at the schedule and they say Georgia is playing at Alabama. That's an automatic L for Georgia, and I'm flipping it the other way. I think that's an automatic L for Alabama. I think Georgia's going to whip that ass. Mm, the dog's already going, baby. Yeah, you heard him in the back. I just think it's going to come down to obviously in Jacksonville, Florida, and Georgia in that game. I don't know many people that are going to test Florida, in my opinion, on the schedule. The only one is going to be Georgia. Tennessee, you know, you could convince yourself so many different ways <laughs> Tennessee's going to challenge Florida, but uh, it, it just never happens. So, yeah, I don't I – don't, Think Florida. I think Florida is going to be favored in every game except for that Georgia game, and it and it's going to come down to the wire. Mm. Coach Doug's going to challenge him to not, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's sad. We haven't had a victory down in Gainesville in oh, six thousand days or something like that. It was crazy, but um, at least we got them at home this year, right? They're at home, yeah. So I mean. Yep. But, I mean, still, even then, until you've done it, it's hard to mark it. I just think, uh, looking at Florida's schedule, Georgia's the game. Who else they got? LSU? That maybe, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, I mean, that could, obviously, that'll be a tough game, but that's at home. Those those are, the obviously, the two toughest teams on their schedule. So, they're predicting two losses. So, to beat Georgia, uh, you know, or to beat – because Georgia's two loss on, on there as well. So, they're thinking they beat Georgia – they lose to LSU and someone else. So, I don't know. That's interesting. You must have wrote this book. Did You You got them losing to Tennessee, I bet. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, well, let's, let's go with the Kentucky, you know. If, I mean, if you're going to say one team on that list right now, uh, a team that's done it 
recently, I'm going to go with uh, Big Blue Nation up for the upset if it were to happen. You know what I'm saying? I, I still think it, it comes down to uh, you know the world's largest cocktail party, and it wouldn't surprise me if Georgia is coming in there with one loss at the time. You know, so Georgia's got a tough season, tough schedule, but uh, I still think you know it, it comes down to that game in Jacksonville. All right, so we'll spend a little bit more time on the next episode with Stephen Lass and breaking this all down. But in the meanwhile, we got an outstanding interview with Adam McClintock at CFB underscore professor. And this guy has got some really interesting stuff to say. And keep in mind, all his thoughts, these are not his opinions. These are based on his analytic models. And this guy plays a part in coaching hires across the nation. He owns a firm that uh, these schools reach out to and they get information and he makes suggestions. And I know he's done it in the SEC. So let's kick it over to Adam McClintock. Some really interesting stuff. Some fans are going to love this. Some fans are going to hate it just based on what he said. But keep in mind, again, this is not his opinion. This is based on his analytics. He's like the opposite of big orange balls, man. (laughs) (laughs) I just learned how to do Skype. All right, we're pleased now to be joined by Adam McClintock. And, of course, he goes by CFB Professor. You can find him on Twitter at CFB underscore Professor. And I highly, highly recommend all our listeners check out his Patreon page. That's at patreon.com slash CFB underscore Professor. Adam, thanks for joining us. I really do appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it, man. So, you know, right before we hopped on the call, we were just talking, you know, how much fun it is now to just talk college football after this wild, wild off season. And it certainly looks like, you know, it's going to happen in some capacity. So I don't know about you, but I'm just ready to spiel here about some college football. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's been a long wait and some of it has been on pins and needles. And we finally got a little bit of, you know, light into the tunnel this week with them announcing letting athletes go back on campuses on, on, on June 1st. So that's that's a good thing. I was excited to hear that. That's going in the right direction. Now, before we get into this uh, SEC data that you got compiled for us here, can you give us a little, just the listeners, a little bit of a background on why you're into this stuff? And, I mean, obviously a huge college football fan, but what got you down the road of, of studying all this stuff with the analytics? Well, you know, it's all started back in, back in college when I was, you know, in engineering school and studying some mathematics and some of our, um, some of our, uh, uh, finals back then were predicting, you know, orbits of celestial bodies and all these kind of weird, crazy things like that. And I thought, you know what, if, you know, we can use mathematics for something like as complex as that, I can surely figure out a way to, uh, subjectively, predict college football games and, and predict coaching behavior and those, those type of things. So that's kind of how it all started 10 years ago. And I started building the model then and I kind of improved on it every year. And uh, it's, it's been fairly successful. Well, absolutely. That's why I wanted to have you on. And again, before we get into, you know, some of the coaching hires and coordinator hires and all that, I really wanted to get your thoughts on some of the, you know, coaching grades that you have for some of these coaches, the way that you guys in the analytic community, you know, it's not opinion based. You're everything you're throwing out there is based on your data and your models and everything. So that's why I really value your guys' opinion because, Hey, we're all biased in some degree, but the numbers are not biased. One of the guys I really wanted to get your thoughts on Jimbo Fisher. I get a lot of crap when I say, you know, I'm not thoroughly impressed with the job he's done yet at Texas A&M. I know it's early during his career, but what do your numbers say about Jimbo Fisher and the job he's done at Texas A&M? Oh, he's, you know, for his career, even at Florida State, um, he was—I had him as a B, uh, a B grade coach. He's—he's—he's he's very he's, hes above average. He's—he's he's not an average coach by any any stretch of the imagination, but but he's not of the same echelon as like Nick Saban or Davo Sweeney, or he's—he's he, he's way overpaid right now. Let's just put it that way. Um, if you want a good comp for Jimbo Fisher. Look up north to Jim Harbaugh in the Big Ten at Michigan. They're almost exactly the same person, just different ge- geographical areas. They're the same type of coach. They 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 they, um, they come in with with, with a lot of uh, a lot of hoopla, and usually it's at least by the numbers and in my model anyway, 
it's maybe not completely deserved. Like, so right now I have, I think I have Jimbo Fisher as, as I think a B or a B plus graded head coach. Um, so I, I would, I would agree with you. He's, he's a little more hyped than, than results right now, but you know, it is early at Texas A&M. We'll see what he can do this year. Mm-hmm. Now, someone that's been in the SEC for quite a while, but it's very difficult for me to put my finger on the pulse of what he's going to do is Gus Malzahn. I mean, next, you know, he's beaten Nick Saban in the Iron Bowl, then he's turning around and losing to Minnesota in a bowl game. What do your analytics say about the job that Gus Malzahn's done at Auburn? That's a, you know, and I, I think that he, he gets more of a, a bad rap than maybe he deserves sometimes. I, I, he, he's not a guy that deserves to be on the hot seat by any stretch of the imagination. That's a tough job being in the same state as Nick Saban in Alabama, and he's still, I mean, he's arguably the most successful against Nick Saban of, of any coach who has to, who has to play him regularly. Um, I have him graded as, as about the same as Jimbo Fisher as a BB plus guy, and, and that's that's just a dichotomy right there of, of how um, these numbers are able to kind of level the playing field. The narratives between those between those two coaches are completely different. There's so much hype behind Jimbo Fisher, and he's an offensive genius, and he's a play calling, you know, lizard, and all that stuff. And Gus Malzahn kind of gets, you know, for lack of better terms, crapped on sometimes because of, you know, uh, for for whatever reason, because of the ups and downs you're talking about. But um, when you know. Alabama, Nick Saban going and lose to Oklahoma in a bowl game they're not supposed to, then maybe he doesn't get the heat that Gus Malzahn seems to get when he you know, maybe comes in uninspired and they lose to Minnesota. So it's, it's, it's just um, it's, it's tough. To, the narrative is, 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 t- is tough to understand sometimes, but I have Gus Malzahn as about, about the same level as Jimbo Fisher. All right, what about Dan Mullen? Because that's a guy that you look at what he's done at Florida. I think he's had tremendous success there. Mississippi State. I think he did an outstanding job there too, but I mean, obviously that's a tougher job. But a lot of people point to the fact that uh, he's not necessarily won many big games during his career. What does your model say about the job that Dan Mullen's done during his head coaching career? Um, he's and it's kind of funny. It's going to get it's going to sound like a broken record, but all these coaches are about the same. Jimbo Fisher, Gus Malzahn, Dan Mullen—they're all in that B to B plus range. I think is what I have him graded in. Um, Dan Mullen, I, I do have, um, he is graded of those three. He is graded slightly higher than the other two. His B plus is, is a little higher than, or B grade is a little higher than the other two, I believe. Um, I, I do think he is closing that gap between Florida and Georgia. That, that game is going to become more and more interesting the next few years, because I do believe that, that, uh, um, Dan Mullen, uh, will get the most out of the talent he's able to recruit at Florida. And you look at what he did at, at Mississippi State with 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 you know talent roster talents in the in the, in the late twenties early thirties, um, and kind of could kind of maybe forecast what he's going to be able to do with the talent he's able to get in Gainesville. That could get scary really quick for the Gators there at and 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 the east side of that division, east side of that conference. It's um, that game could get interesting again very 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 quickly because Kirby Smart's not going anywhere either. So um, I, I like Dan Mullen. I think of the three we've talked about, he's probably the best coach. I think I have him ranked 17th um, of all P5 coaches this year. I think that is higher than Jimbo Fisher or Gus Malzahn. So of the three, he is he is, he is the best coach, but they're all great about the same level. They're about the same tier of coach. Now, what does your data say about a guy like Mark Stoops? Because, you know, he doesn't have the talent. Other, a lot of these coaches in the SEC, the, the upper echelon, if you want to call it that, of the SEC, yet the last two years have been very successful there in Lexington. Uh, what do the numbers say about Mark Stoops? Mark Stoops, um, I have him, I know this is going to make some people's heads scratch, scratch a little bit, but I have him uh, graded as, as a D-minus head, head, head coach. Um, he, he did bring a lot of, he, he did bring a, big influx of talent in Kentucky that wasn't there before. So he, he has able been able to do that, but there, there have been times um, that he hasn't capitalized in situations where he maybe should have, um, especially with the East being as down as it has been. You know, Florida has kind of went through the ringer and they're coming back. Georgia um, early on in that, in that transition from, from Mark Rick to, to uh, uh, Kirby Smart was, was maybe there for the, there for the taking. Um, Tennessee is, is still, you know, kind of, a trying to, trying to find their legs. There's been opportunities this is, this is the weakest the East division has, has been the last five years for, for, for decades. 
And, um, you know, Mark Stoops didn't really take super advantage of that. He's a brilliant defensive mind. As a defensive coordinator, he's a top-tier defensive coordinator. But as a head coach, putting it all together, um, he just isn't quite there yet. Um, so that's, that's why he falls in that D-minus range. Well, congratulations, Adam. You just cost us our entire Kentucky audience, so just want to make that <laughs> note. Uh, can you make a good read on a guy like a Jeremy Pruitt who's only been coaching for two years as a head coach? I don't know how complete of a picture that gives you, but you know he's an interesting one because, hell, they're losing games they shouldn't lose at the beginning of the year, and then towards the tail end they go on a tear, but maybe these are a lot of teams Tennessee was supposed to beat you know, if you want to look at just the rosters, what are what does your numbers say about a guy like Jeremy Pruitt? Um, Jeremy Pruitt, um, and any any coach that has less than three years of coaching under his belt, I kind of the grade. It takes about three years for the grade to become solid on a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just there, there for there to be enough data to, to 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 give him a solid grade. So he doesn't really have a solid grade yet. But I have him, I think, ranked. 37 or 37th or 38th and of all power five coaches. Um, he's done a great job getting talent into Tennessee. He just hasn't been able to do a lot with it yet. And um, some of that, you know, might be Pruitt. Some of it might just be the administration at Tennessee is such a mess. I mean, at two programs that are very, very similar and one outside the SEC, uh, Tennessee and Nebraska are, are, are very similar in this aspect where, you know, they had uh, very you know, precarious situations going on in the administration and behind the scenes that maybe people didn't know a whole lot about. And it was going to be tough for any coach to go in those places and find immediate success. So those people who are kind of down on Jeremy Pruitt right now, I, I would say give him another three or four years. Um, you know, let him kind of fight his battles and, and, and get uh, – uh, things situated in the, on the administration side, the way he, he needs them to be aligned to be successful, and then be more judgmental on on, on his job. Um, he's doing a good job getting getting talent in place. Um, he did go on a tear that last year, um, and I think he's he's got his type of offensive coordinator in place now that he you know uh, Jim Cheney from from Georgia two years ago now. Um, give him a little bit more time, and uh, then really start to to be judgmental on 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 what his results are at, at, in Knoxville. You know what else uh, Nebraska and Tennessee fans have in common? They wish it was the 90s. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I grew up about 30 miles south of Lincoln, so I'm a diehard Nebraska fan, so I can say that honestly. <laughs> 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 All right, last coach I wanted to ask you about before we get on to some of these hires, Will Muschamp. You know, it's, you know, a lot of South Carolina fans already fed up with – their coach ready to move on. We're all we're always ready to move on to the next guy. We don't even know who that is. What do your numbers say about the job Will Muschamp has done in his head coaching career? Oh, I I was not a fan of that hire when it happened. I think I gave it a D minus, great hiring grade when it happened, and uh, it's kind of come to fruition that way. He just has not done anything at South Carolina at all. Um, I was kind of actually surprised he was brought back this last year. And very surprised this that this this offseason there wasn't a move made. Um, he just I think he proved it at Florida. He, he proved uh, you know that he he isn't that echelon of coach that is able to to, to take a program like, like in the SEC or or in one of those conferences and, and be um, um, sustain success. So um, I think South Carolina is probably okay now to cut bait and, and just go see who's out there because there's there's talent to be had in the state of South Carolina and that whole region there um you just have to find the right guy to go to go cultivate that and and give you system in I mean it's I think it's stale there in Columbia and I, th- I think they, they they would be better off making a change all right well we had an exciting off season in the SEC with several head coaching hires and you know you Noted there, you need several years of data before you can judge a guy. So, not going to ask you about Sam Pittman. Obviously, got nothing on him. No one does. Eli Drinkowitz, only the one year as a head coach. So, jumping to the state of Mississippi, I mean, we went from two coaches that are not very interesting to two of the most exciting in college football. Let's start with Lane Kiffin. What can Ole Miss fans expect from their new head coach based on uh, the data you have on Coach Kiffin? I think they can expect the recruiting to go to, to, to go to uh, back to levels it was with with Hugh Freeze. Um, he's a good recruiter. He's going to get people on that campus. 
um, or guys on that campus who have talent. But I think for the most part, if his if if his grade, I have him at grade as, as a C plus head coach, so he's at average or maybe just a little above. Um, I don't know if he's the guy to get them to where they want to go. Um, he he is kind of notorious in, in my model for under coaching his talent. Um, he did a really good job at FAU only because he had so much more talent than everybody else in the Sun Belt. Um, that's not going to be the case in the SEC. He's going to have lesser or equal talent a lot of times to the teams that he's playing, and that's when he struggles. Um, so I think there, the, it'd be one of those situations, and um, you know, where where you're celebrating on on signing day because you love the, the type of talent he's bringing in, but it may be setting you up for a little bit of disappointment during the season when he wins eight games and you think he should win ten. So um, that that's that's how I think Lane Kiffin's going to end up there. Um, I don't think it's a bad hire. I, I think it's I think it's 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 a okay average hire. But um, they might have kind of could have done a little bit better at Ole Miss. I think maybe they they went for the for the big name guy instead of actually going out and getting a guy who who, who maybe could have gotten to that next level. Interesting. All right, what about Mike Leach? A little bit of a wizard of a head coach out here is winning. Uh, he's been winning for years and years. What do your numbers say about Mike Leach? Um, the model loves Mike Leach. He is that was a tremendous hire in Starkville. I was you know. I was very excited when, 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 when that hire was made. I have him ranked ninth, the ninth best head coach in the country um, of all P5 programs, Power 5 programs. He is – you're not going to get a guy better X's and O's than Mike Leach. He is going to coach you to, to a lot more wins than, 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 than your, your, your normal coach is going to. The problem with Mike Leach, people are going to have to stomach in SEC territory, is he's not necessarily going to pull those top 15, top 20 recruiting classes. That's like Mike Leach's style. He's going to go find the Gardner Minshew. He's going to go find um, these these other you know, diamonds in the roughs that fit his system and fit what he wants to do. And he's going to do it his way. And he and he doesn't pay attention to recruiting rankings or the stars or anything anything like that at all. But he's he's going to make it work. He he made it work in Washington State. You know when that program was just completely down and out. He made it work in Texas Tech back when. And this was back when the Big Twelve was you know formidable. In, the, in 2000, 2001, 2002, he, he went in, into Lubbock, who was a perennial, you know, six-win average team, and he made them a power that people did not want to play in, 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 in the Big 12. So I, I think, you know, there, there's, there's going to be some fun times to start to watch, watch and watch what, what develops there, but people are going to have to be patient with his recruiting classes and the way he recruits. It's a system. He, he knows his system. He's going to recruit to it. It may not look great on signing day, but the results will be there in the fall. It's almost a complete opposite of, of what's going on at Ole Miss. It's, you know, people are going to be excited at Ole Miss about on signing day and maybe, maybe a little bit disappointed in the fall, complete opposite in Starkville. So, I mean, it's, that dynamic is going to be fun to watch. Now it's been a long time since Bo Pelini has served exclusively as a defensive coordinator, but that's his new role at LSU. Do you have any data on Coach Bo Pelini, I know obviously you said you're a big Nebraska fan, so I don't know how you feel about Coach Bo, but uh, he's back in the SEC. Thoughts on him running LSU's defense? Oh, I I have no ill will towards Bo Pelini. I he, he's a you know it didn't work out for him in Nebraska as a head coach, um, but uh, and and honestly, LSU fans, you're not going to replace replace Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda was one of the top two or three defensive coordinators in the country, had been for years. Okay, um, so if you're, if, if you're looking to come in and just automatically replace Dave Aranda, that's not going to happen. But Bo Pelini is a B-plus graded defensive coordinator. He's one of the better ones in the business. In fact, the best defense, according to my model, since 2008 was Bo Pelini's 2009 defense at Nebraska. So that um, he is capable of, 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 of uh, creating a dominant defense when he's got the, got the talent to do it. Um, where Bo Pelini kind of struggles in his defenses is, is, is when he doesn't have the athletes to run his complex system, his, his matchup zone schemes that he likes to run. That's when he struggles. That's not going to be a, a problem at LSU because the athletes are going to be there. Um, I think LSU fans are going to be happy with, this, with, with, with what they see out of Pelini. Um, but those who are expecting him to come in and be as dominant at times as Dave Aranda was might be a little bit disappointed. But it's, 
it's still going to be a formidable defense in, in Baton Rouge, and people are not going to be um, happy going into the Death Valley with, with inexperienced quarterbacks for sure. So, All right, well, obviously Arkansas hired inexperienced head coach in Sam Pittman, but I really love the hires he made. Defensive coordinator Barry Odom, offensive coordinator Kendall Bryles. What can you tell us about those two coaches uh, in their respective roles? Oh, I'm with you. I, just separately, I love his coordinator hires. I love Kendall Bryles as, as, as an offensive coordinator. He's one of the better ones in the country as well. I love the defensive coordinator hire in Barry Odom. Now, how they mesh together, that's what I'm worried about because we, we track something called pace pairing between, um, between coordinators, and that's um, how the offensive coordinator's pace affects his defensive coordinator on, on staff. Because the more that offensive coordinator wants to push the pace, the more plays his defense is going to be on the field. And sometimes that can have an adverse effect on some defensive coordinators and the schemes they like to run. Um, case in point with Barry Odom. Um, look back at Missouri when Josh Heupel was there calling plays. Josh Heupel was running 80 plays a game, 82 or 83 plays a game. And Barry Odom's defense fell apart. Um, they, were, they were forced to defend more. They were forced to um, – uh, his substitution patterns had to be different. The depth had to be different. Um, and, and his defenses just, just couldn't keep up. And those, a lot of those games turned, turned into scoring fests. That's what I fear might happen with Barry Odom's defenses with, with, with Bryles at, at the helm there. So Because Bryles is going to push the pace as well. That's, that's, that's that DNA. That's, that's, that's how it's going to work there. Um, but just to see if Barry Odom has learned anything from his days um, coaching opposite of, of Josh Heupel um, in, in Missouri. And if he has, that's going to be a dynamic duo that's going to be excellent in Fayetteville. But um, typically, that's something that is tough to be, you know, a tough behavior to learn is to, 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 to all of a sudden be able to be a, a good pace defensive coordinator. So keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on, on, on how um, Browse's pace and offense affects Odom's defensive efficiency. All right, last coordinator hire in the SEC I wanted to ask you about. Mike Bobo down here at South Carolina. Obviously, uh, you know, was had a lot of success as Georgia's offensive coordinator, and then he went on to Colorado State. Now he's back in the SEC. Uh, do you got any numbers for us on Mike Bobo? Yeah, he's he's. I have him at grade as, as a, uh, I, th- I believe he's in, in the B range of, of um, offensive coordinators. He, um, that's a good hire for, for, um, for, for Muschamp there in South Carolina. The problem with a lot of these head coaches who are defensive-minded is, you know, they want to protect their defense. So is he going to allow Mike Bobo to run his offense the way that Mike Bobo needs to do to, to find success? That's something that uh, is, 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 is typical in, in, in defensive-minded head coaches. So if, if Will Muschamp will take the you know, handcuffs off of Mike Bobo and let him call the, you know, the plays as he sees fit, um, yeah, then, you know, he, he's going to be more successful at South Carolina than, than the last few offensive coordinators have been. I just I can't see um, Muschamp doing that, though, especially when he's kind of on the hot seat. Um, it, I think it's going to be tough for him to relinquish the, the reins there a little bit. Um, so while he is graded out as, as, as a good offensive coordinator, I don't know if you're necessarily going to see it in Columbia. All right, one last coordinator, not a hire, but you know we talked about Jimbo Fisher maybe being a little bit overrated as a head coach for Texas A&M, but how big was it for the Aggies to hold on to Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator, for another season? What do your metrics say about Coach Elko? Oh, they love Coach Elko. He is another one that is – he's of the same ilk as Dave Aranda. They're both very, very, very good defensive coordinators. We were – I was very, you know, when he hired him away from Notre Dame, that was the sign that, okay, they're going, they're, they're going for a big in, in, in college station because Mike Elko, he is one of the top defensive minds in the country. I, I'd probably put him in the top five or six. Um, he's, he, he's, he's that talented of a, of a defensive coordinator. So it was, it was huge for him to be able to hold on to him and, and to be able to keep that advantage because Texas A&M, you know, it's crazy. They have, they have the uh, sixth, sixth best roster talent in the, in the country and they're still you know feels like miles behind you know LSU and, and Alabama at times that's that, that's crazy they they can have a top 10 you know rated roster and, and still be that far behind people so they need coaches like 
like Elko to, um, to, to, to really even that out. Um, so we'll, we'll see what, what, what Jimbo Fisher is able to get done with him there. It's, it's, it's important that he keeps coaches like that on staff to, to, to kind of balance, balance, you know, that, uh, talent division up, up in the West. All right. I don't want to keep you much longer. We already been on the line quite a bit here, but just wanted to get your quick thoughts on the SEC in 2020. What's your data suggesting, you know, who's going to win each division and, uh, what are the odds that, uh, that do you think, based on your data here, that uh, which team is going to win the SEC and likely head to the college football playoff? My data still likes still likes Alabama to win the conference. Um, so that's got Alabama winning the West. Um, it has Georgia and Florida tying in the East at, 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 at number one, Ooh. but it's got Georgia winning that division via their head-to-head. Um, so it's it's going to be a, a, a very very fun season if, if it goes off the way it's supposed to and there's no scheduling changes and all that all that stuff so but um uh, another interesting thing is my model has texas a&m actually coming in second in the in the west but it's the, the model confidence on on that is is kind of shaky there it has texas a&m winning a lot of close toss-up football games and sometimes when when that is is, is the case um it, the ball can not necessarily bounce the way the model expects it to. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a fun season. I'm, I'm anxious to get it started, get all of this behind us, and, and get back to some normalcy. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because if you look at a lot of these betting odds, I know that's not quite the same as your analytics, but you know, I can't remember a time with the betting odds that there's so many teams that have odds you know, within 10 to 1 to win the SEC – your, I know you said your model favors Alabama, Georgia, and Florida, but are there any other teams outside of Texas A&M that are, you know, close within that range of potentially uh, surprising and, and winning the SEC? If there was a dark horse outside of those four teams to, to, to rise up and, and do it, I know everybody points to LSU, but LSU lost so much talent off that team. Um, I think they're, they're still going to be a year or, or, or two away, and they're going to have to restock a little bit. Um, also, losing both offensive defensive coordinators at LSU is going to, going to be tough to overcome. But uh, uh, watch watch out for Auburn. Auburn will, will be inter- interesting to watch, as always. And and, and keep an eye on on, on, on the Pirate, the Starkville, Mississippi State. I know it's just year one, and it, sometimes it, it usually takes longer than that. But if you're looking for a dark horse, don't bet against Mike Leach. He's... Uh, this is the most talent he's ever had on a roster, and uh, it's just a matter of if he can get his system in place quick enough to, to do this with all the, 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 you know, the spring practice delays and, and, and him not being able to get his system installed. So that, that's my take on it. All right, Adam, before you go, can you tell the listeners a little bit about what you got at your Patreon and why they should check it out? I know I personally, uh, I'm a Patreon of you, and I downloaded your spring guide to the 2020 season, and it's incredibly in-depth stuff. So beyond that, what else you got going on at your Patreon? Yeah, absolutely. We have, I have uh, coaching rankings, uh, head coach rankings split in a power five and, and, and group of five. Um, I also have um, the – I'm updating, actually, the, the spring projections with all the, the roster changes that happened um, since uh, February when I, when I put this spring projection out. So I'll have that up in July. Uh, check that out, and uh, just I'll have some articles going forward about what to expect from some of these new hires in, in 2020. Okay, great. Well, he's Adam McClintock. Again, you can follow him at CFB underscore professor, and it's the same thing for the Patreon. Patreon.com slash CFB underscore professor. Adam, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. It's some really outstanding stuff. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. All right, so there it was from Adam McClintock. Once again, you can find him at CFB underscore professor. And I really, if you're really, if you're a gambler, I uh, encourage you to check out his Patreon page because he'll give you the inside information on all this stuff going into the season. But a lot to say there on a lot of these coaches, a lot of these coordinators. And so, what was the thing that kind of stuck out to you, Shane, from what Adam had to say there? Well, uh, since it's something we just talked about with Stoops, you know, I, I thought the the grading average for him was was a lot lower than expected. Um, what do, I mean, because you kind of had him high 
I had him high on the list. Mm-hmm. What, what did you think about that? Well, here's the thing, again, with his system, you know, that's a computer system, and the way it it looks at these games, which games has Mark Stoops won either on the road or at home against teams with better talent than him? That's basically all this thing's looking at. Mm-hmm. And you, when you kind of break it down like that, it makes a lot of sense because the one that comes to mind that Stoops has won was 2018 at Florida. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I can think of another one. I mean, they never beat Tennessee. Yeah. They never beat Georgia. They don't face many of the powers in the SEC West. And, you know, it seems like more often than not, they lose to Mississippi State, or at least they did under Dan Mullen. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense what he's saying. D minus is that's that is a little low for me, but yeah, because <laughs> um, hell, if, if he's a D minus, I'd hate to see a fucking A plus, you know what I mean? But, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it. That was def- that's definitely interesting. I'm not saying I agree with that, but I'm just trying to rationalize it, you know what I mean? Let me ask you another one. Uh, must champ, um, obviously, he's he, you know, he's high on the, the new coordinator, but his, I mean, it, this is a make or break season for must champ, ain't it? I'll tell you what, Shane, for people that uh, Gamecock fans don't have ammunition against Will Muschamp, there you go. You get, that's all you needed to hear. Adam's been out since the guy was hired and maybe being proven right. But it's interesting because uh, we had a listener reach out. I thought I'd tie this all together, but uh, this, uh, this is a question posed to us from Aiken SC Gamecock, and he was asking about the fact that if Will Muschamp does – get dismissed by South Carolina, or what would I think about hiring Billy Napier, Billy Napier, who we all know, if you or if you don't know, the coach of Louisiana down there, he's really turned that program around. He's a Nick Saban disciple. This was a guy that I know Mississippi State targeted. But it's something interesting that Adam shared with me about Billy Napier, and I think it would apply the same to South Carolina, Mississippi State, a reason why, I don't know if they could get Billy Napier, but I know they looked at him seriously, and I I think offers were made, but the advice I've heard, and this is not just from Adam, from other people as well, Billy Napier, if you're a Mississippi State, if you're a South Carolina that's probably a bad hire to make because what he's going to try to do coming from the Saban system, he's going to try to out Saban, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart and Jeremy Pruitt and all these guys that come from the same branch. Now you can try that and that it's been done to death. You know, how many Nick Saban coaches land a, a head job elsewhere, or you can turn around and hire a guy like Mike Leach who. No one's comparing Mike Leach to Nick Saban, I'll tell you that. But why that's so valuable is because you're at a school where, you know, you're already facing Clemson, you're facing Florida, you're facing Georgia, you're facing Tennessee. More often than not, those teams are going to have more talent than you. So mm-hmm. do you really want to go with a guy that kind of has the same blueprint as them? I mean, what's the strategy there? That's kind of what you got with Will Muschamp. The strategy there is, well, let's just wait and see if Will Muschamp can build this thing up and then we can compete with those guys, even though we lose to them more often than not in the recruiting trail. I don't think that's the way you go about it. I think now, obviously, there's not you know another. You can't hire Mike Leach because he's already at Mississippi State, but you got to find someone in that vein, someone that does it a little bit different. Remember when Urban Urban Meyer got hired at Florida? A lot of people said that offense is not going to work in the SEC. Yeah, and then he revolutionized it. You know, he revolutionized the SEC. So I think if you're a South Carolina you got to hire a guy that's going to do it a little bit different. And that's not just, you know, I, I hope South Carolina fans are not taking this as like I'm being dismissive. But I just don't think, and this is a big reason why I wasn't 100% sold on Tennessee hiring Jeremy Pruitt. Because they're basically taking the Alabama blueprint and they're saying, well, we'll catch Alabama and we'll catch Georgia trying to do the same thing they're doing. And we're four years behind. You know what I mean? So... Even yeah. at Tennessee, that's incredibly difficult to do. And it's, hell, Tennessee won eight games. It's like we're ready to throw a par- parade. If they if they won eight games in Alabama, Nick Saban would be fired. You know what I mean? Right. So 
that's an incredibly, incredibly difficult task to hand someone at a place like South Carolina. I think you got to hire somebody that is just going to go against the grain. So that's why if, I, if I'm South Carolina, I would not look at a guy like Billy Napier. Well, I mean, and two, I don't know. I, I get that you want maybe more of an established person, but you couldn't afford to fire Muschamp last year. That's why you kept him around. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're going to be able to – it sounds like. it doesn't. They're not going to be able to just throw bank at anybody and get anybody to come in there. Now, you know, if boosters really want them, I guess they could – you know, they built the new facility there. I guess they could really find some money. And But I just – I don't see South Carolina doing that. So I'm kind of with you. It's got to be – Somebody different. Um, is there any? What other names? I mean, we're just we're just talking, Mike. We're, obviously, we've got a whole season of play. Who knows? Muschamp may run away with this thing. But if he doesn't run away with it, if he is, you know, four, five, six, seven games in, and, and a total disappointment, and they start looking for coaches, who's on your short list? You know, a guy that I really like, and I don't know if he would leave because he just got there not too long ago, but. I really like the West Virginia coach, Neil Brown. Mm-hmm. That's the type of guy that I'd be looking at. I know he was obviously at Kentucky. He was running their offense uh, prior to him leaving, I think, for Troy. I think it was, and he did an outstanding job there. That's how he got the West Virginia job. I mean, I think you're looking at someone like that, someone that that is more offensive and get creative and explosive plays. Uh, maybe, you know, this is not going to – and I don't even have a name here because I don't follow Clemson that well, but, hell, why not just hire whoever's doing their offense? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like that's what you're looking at. I know South Carolina fans are going to – would probably hate that, but you're hurting Clemson, and then maybe we know – you know, we know how Clem, Clemson's doing all their dirty stuff, then <laughs> we can put an end to it because we got the guy, you know, that was in the in the inner workings over there. So – I don't know, maybe someone like Hell or steal their uh, defensive coordinator, Brent Venables. You know what I mean? So, right. So I, th- I think you got to take a chance on someone outside of the Nick Saban tree. We are, we're already doing this damn thing with Will Muschamp, and it's not really working that well. I, d- I just would not go back to that Saban well, and I feel like that's what you'd be doing with Billy Napier. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you, man. I, again, we got a long season going, you know, who knows, you know. Champ may run away with this thing. He was really high on the on the coordinator, and and maybe that's exactly what this team needed, you know. So I'm not ready to to rule them out, but there are a lot of anxious fans. There's a lot of South Carolina fans been waiting a long time to get back toward the top, you know. It's it's been it's been a few years since those glory days. So let's uh, let's see if Muschamp can do that. And I've also heard South Carolina's lost about forty million from this COVID thing, so. Mm-hmm. They couldn't pay the, the buyout <laughs> before. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to happen now. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. All right, Shane. So I think that is all I got. Uh, unless you, you got anything before we hop off here. Well, yeah, Mike. You know, uh, obviously, if you're listening to this on Monday, it's Memorial Day. And, you know, it's the day set aside to remember with, you know, the gratitude and pride all those who served and died for our country and our freedom. So, uh, I appreciate everybody, all of our service men and women out there. Um, you know, I appreciate everybody hanging out with us, and uh, we got some we got some really good news today. I enjoyed the interview, Mike. Uh, it seems like we're going to have some more content coming up this week. So, uh, even though uh, you may be out in the lake partying, you know, if you got nothing else to do, throw on the SEC podcast, and we'll be cranking it out uh, all week for you. Absolutely, well said, Shane. That's going to do it for this one. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And thanks for joining me, Shane. We'll catch you on the next one. (laughs) See you guys. Go Vols.